0: Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, happy Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, It is an honor to have you with us, whether you're joining us online or one of our in-person services. Thank you so much. Uh, For joining us today. You have truly honored us. So, today, if you're new to America, uh, today, Super Bowl Sunday, is about the closest thing to a holiday uh, without actually being a holiday. I had a friend of mine in Vancouver, in Canada, uh, looking to connect with us, looking to connect with our churches, and uh, wanting me to do some Zoom training with some of his leaders. He's like, hey, I've got a date. How about you come and do this on Zoom on February 7th at 7 p.m.? And I'm like, hey, brother, I will do anything for the advancement of the gospel. But let me explain to you Super Bowl Sunday. Needless to say, we got the date changed and all is good. So happy Super Bowl Sunday. Well, if you are new, we are in the series on this section of... Teaching by Jesus. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we're just, uh, it's recorded in Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. And we're just kind of taking it verse by verse, addressing all different kinds of subject that have to do what Jesus's kingdom is like. What does it mean to be surrendered to his rule in his reign? And today we come to a subject that's not very chipper. In fact, this subject may be at the center of your deepest pain, talking about Divorce. So let me just say by way of introduction, especially if you are new to us and, and maybe don't know our heart, don't know what we're going for here, if you have experienced divorce, I want you to know that we have so much compassion for you, regardless of the reason. We want you to feel safe here. We want you to experience the grace of God here. We want Jubilee Church to be a place where people are lifted up and not pushed down. Secondly, I just want you to know that we are all in this together. And what I mean by that is that we are all in a place of constantly needing grace and the kindness of God. We are constantly, in fact, the more that we pursue Jesus, the more that we experience Jesus, the more we realize just how much of his grace that he needs, there is no hierarchy hierarchy in Christianity. Um, There's just Jesus and a whole bunch of us who need grace. Jesus. So if you're new, here's what we're trying to do. We are trying to follow the way of Jesus. And as we look to his way, and as we follow his way, we see hope, we experience hope, we experience life, we experience peace, we experience joy. And we just invite you to come along with us as we seek to follow him. But I want to be honest, following the way of Jesus is challenging. I mean, look, if we, if we, every week we come to his word and we, we have ears that hear, the way of Jesus is an attack on our self-sufficiency. It's an attack on our sense of autonomy. To use Bible language, it does not appease the flesh, uh, but it, it feeds that, that part of you, that, the, the part of you that's really you, the spirit you, your soul. I mean, his ways are not our ways. So there's a disconnect here. They challenge us and the cost of discipleship In this life is steep, but in this life, the reward uh, both now and into the life to come is immeasurable. And it's here that we find uh, peace and hope, but we must constantly look to him. We have to constantly keep our eyes on Jesus and we need each other to encourage each other, not just to see Jesus as in our example and the standard, because that can be crushing if we don't also have his power. So we are relying on Jesus to give us the power to live the life that he's called us to live. That's why we need his grace. That's why I say that we constantly need his grace, that we're all in this together. So in my role to explain Jesus, to proclaim Jesus, and help point the way forward, I always feel the weight of that challenge. But this week, I feel it more so because I know that divorce affects so many people. And the second reason why I really feel the weight is there is a big disconnect between the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of culture. There's a big difference between the teaching of Jesus really and the teaching of religion. So I hope um, to make that clear today. I've got my work cut out for me. And here's the outline because I, wanna, I want you to know where I'm going. Uh, number one, I, I wanna talk about, I wanna give clarity on the teaching of Jesus on divorce. I wanna bring hope for those who feel like they're on the brink of divorce. And then finally, I want to uh, show the path forward for renewal for those who have experienced divorce. And like I said, I just, you, you need to know the, the compassion that we aspire to have. man. I know sometimes I fall short of expressing that compassion. I'm sure if my brothers and sisters here at Jubilee Church were being honest, they would say, we fall short of expressing that compassion. But our hope, our heart is to say, hey, look, we are all in this together. We have all fallen short and we need His grace. So let me pray and we'll get into it. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you died for us that your son Jesus died on the cross for us so that we can have hope, so that we can have life, so that we can have peace, so that we can have forgiveness. And we, we honor your word, we honor your way. And, and Lord Jesus, will you help us? Will you draw us closer to you through this teaching? Amen, amen. So let's talk about clarity. What is Jesus actually saying? Well, Matthew 19 will help. It's, a, it's a, another passage where Jesus addresses divorce In verse three through six, I'll just read that for us real quick. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answers, have you not read he who created them from the beginning and made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, they are one flesh. What therefore God has joined together... Let no man separate. We are in this section, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, and we are in this section where there's all these times where Jesus uh, repeats this phrase, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, I think it's like four or five times. You've heard this, but let me tell you how it really is. You've heard this, but let me tell you what God really meant. Um, And what people had heard was man's interpretation of what they hope God meant. Okay, that's called religion. Anytime you hear uh, man's interpretation of what God really meant, that's called religion. Jesus here is deconstructing man's thoughts On God and taking them back to scriptures to help them understand God's original heart. And I won't take much time here to say this, but we need to understand how incredibly important this is about any subject, about any area of life that we don't We don't learn Christianity from what you've heard said. You know, this is the way I was raised. This is what my friends and I think. This is, you know, I watched this video and it made a lot of sense to me. We don't learn that way. We've heard some things said. And Jesus wants to deconstruct that in our life. And he wants to take us back to the scriptures. He wants to take us back to God's original heart for all of life. And specifically here, he talks about what marriage is. So they want to have a conversation about divorce. And Jesus is like, hey, look, before I can talk about divorce, you need to understand God's heart for marriage. You need to understand the essential nature of what marriage is. So what is the essence of marriage? The essence of something is essentially its core nature. So like if I was to ask you, what is the essence of a baseball player? And your answer was someone who wore a uniform. I mean, that's true. Baseball players wear uniforms, but that's not their essence. I mean, football players wear uniforms. Police officers, mailmen, they they wear uniforms. Uh, that, That isn't the essence of what makes a baseball player. So what makes marriage a marriage? Some people say affection. Affection, you know, chemistry, the way I feel about you. That's what feelings make A marriage, affection makes a marriage. But hey, look, dogs have affection, and in fact, they they may have more affection than human beings. I mean, I mean, I think my dog does. I mean, he he loves he loves us, and uh, but that's you know, he doesn't experience marriage. Other people say the essence of marriage is procreation. Again rabbits. They procreate, but they don't have marriage. Other people talk about tax deductions. They talk about uh, legality. They talk about shared medical insurance. But what is the essence of marriage? Well, Jesus tells us in verse five, when he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That phrase, hold fast, literally means to be glued together. And on my little glue, my little Elmer's glue, it says bonds stronger than wood. Like he, it, the, the bond is a strong bond. This he's bringing... People together. And if you remember what Adam said to Eve in the garden when he sang that song, You are now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He's saying, Look, I don't just love you, man, I am you. Like we are together. We have been fused together by God. We have been brought together. We are permanently together in marriage. And there's no more potential for you and I to be, go our separate ways than for me to lose my arm or my leg. We are one, we are fused together. And there are two visions for relationships out there in society, both then and now. One is a consumer relationship, the other one is a covenant relationship. Marriage is a covenant relationship. In a consumer relationship, it's based upon getting your needs met, which is a common thought about marriage. Marriage is about getting my needs met, it's about making me happy, meeting my emotional needs, meeting my physical needs. But a consumer relationship, is that's what a consumer relationship is. That's not marriage. Consumer relationship, you know, I have a consumer relationship with my mechanic. I have a consumer relationship with a lot of people. But with my mechanic, uh, you know, he does good work at a good price, and he's not far from my house, so it's convenient. But look, man, if I can find someone who does it better, cheaper, closer to my house, um, I move on. That's a consumer relationship. Marriage is a covenant relationship. A covenant is a vow or a promise. And until you make this covenant, you are not married. Now, I know some of us are all into making our own vows at a wedding, but you know sometimes I hear these vows, and they're not really vows. And this is what I mean. They, they express about how they feel. You know, I love you. I care about you. I, you know, I, I wasn't the same once I met you. And, and you mean the world to me. That is, those aren't vows. Uh, because they describe how you feel today. Vows are promises not of present love. They are a promise of future love. Uh, To say, I love you is not a covenant. To say, I will love you is a covenant. And and what it does then is it controls your future. That's what a promise is. That's what a covenant, it it is controlling your future. And that is a good thing. Tim Keller in The Meaning of Marriage says, the only way for you to, to not be controlled by your past is forgiveness. And the only way for you not to be controlled by your future is through a promise. And that's what marriage is. It's not a statement of present feelings, but a promise of future action. And it creates this zone of safety where men and women thrive Sex then, let's talk about sex for a second. Sex becomes an an external reaction, an external action of an inward internal reality that you are both naked before each other, that you are vulnerable from each other, that you are becoming one physically, just like you have become one emotionally, um, spiritually, male and female coming together as one in in the most deepest way possible. That's why sex is not just a mere physical act. I mean, I think we know that, um, but a spiritual one that connects men and women at, at a deepest level. It's why uh, sexual abuse is the most heinous abuse. It's, it's beyond just getting uh, physically hurt. There's, there's a violation there at the deepest level. And sex in the, in the context of marriage, in really it's, it is a covenant renewal ceremony, ceremony of the vows that you made when you became married. And that's why it becomes one of the concessions, which we'll get here in a minute. So singles, you need to understand, man, this is why marriage is such a big deal. This is why marrying someone who is on the same spiritual path as you is such a big deal, because getting married is not just finding someone that you really like. It's not just finding someone who makes you feel a certain way, but it's about coming together as one and expressing that oneness from day one through the rest of your life. And so don't be you know, the Bible word is, you know, not to be unequally yoked. That's not just some Bible thumper who's out of touch with reality. That is a word to saying, look, you have coming together with someone. And if they look, if someone looks at the center of your life and laughs or just marginalizes what that is and doesn't share the same center, you're not, you're, you're not having that oneness like we are meant to have and it's with this understanding of marriage, of connection, that Jesus lays out his thoughts about divorce. So he says, because a man and woman are meant to be so deeply one, divorce really is like an amputation. So in verse six, he says, there are no longer uh, two but one flesh. That is the essence of marriage. So he says, what therefore God has joined together, let no, let no man separate. And then he said to him in verse 7, or they said to him, that is the Pharisees, because you know, they're in a culture where divorce is just handed out like Halloween candy. It's just like, you know, like, man, it should be easy to get out of this. And, and this is with the culture is a natural thing. Divorce was very, very common in Jesus' day. And, he, and they said to him, because they're trying to justify, you know, they want to keep this practice intact. They're like, why didn't Moses give a command to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, "Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, he's saying, there's a difference between a command and a concession." And rabbis I mean, they knew this. Rabbis taught this all the time. If you look back at, you know an ancient, ancient Jewish culture, uh, there were two schools of thought among the rabbinic teaching. Uh, a command expressed God's heart, a concession. Um, was something that God allowed because of man's fallen condition to just to kind of keep peace in society, but it wasn't God's heart. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, yeah, God gave you this concession, but it, it's not his command. It's not what he wants. This is what he wants. He's given an allowance for divorce. He's given a concession based upon our fallen state. But God's intent was that no one would get divorced for any." reason. And it's into this culture that Jesus is speaking. And people just, it was as hard as them to hear as you and I. In fact, his disciples, his very own disciples, if you read on in Matthew 19, we're like, hey, look, you know, if marriage is that serious of a commitment and there's no way out of it, why should we just even bother getting married? I mean, who can do that? Who can accept that? I mean, if there's not some escape clause, I mean, I'm going to do my best. But I mean, how do you really know? I mean, I don't know how this is going to work out. Because the disciples were influenced by a culture that defined marriage as a way of getting your needs met, a consumer relationship, physical needs, emotional needs, financial needs. And if those needs weren't getting met, well, you just gave a, divorce, a certificate of divorce. But what Jesus is driving home both then and now is that, if, uh, that marriage is meant to be this kind of oneness. And so divorce isn't like getting a new wardrobe, like this isn't working for me anymore and I need something different, I need something new, I'm unhappy, I don't like this. You know, things have changed, I've fallen out of love and, you know, whatever the situation is, divorce isn't like changing your wardrobe, divorce is like taking your arm off. It's like amputation. I mean, it can happen and you can survive from an amputation, but man, this is a serious deal. What God has joined together, what God has fused together, glued together, let no one separate. That word separate means to detach. It means to disconnect. It means to break apart. That's why I think you could say it's like an amputation. The teaching here, again, it can't happen. Uh, there, there are places where there it's, there's a concession given, but it's something not to take lightly. I mean, a, a doctor would be run out of the town if, if their default uh, prescription was an amputation. Like, doc, it's just a sprain. I know we're going to amputate. Like, look, you know, maybe just maybe you'd get a second opinion. Like you, w- you wouldn't take that. You'd get counsel. You'd bring people in and like, are you sure? And is this a last resort? And, and how much time do I have? And, and, and give it more time and give it more time and give it more time. You would try to do whatever you could to avoid that happening. And you would only do it under the most extreme circumstances. And there are extreme circumstances. And, and you may be in one of them, especially like if you're in, in a situation that is abusive, physically abu- abusive of any kind, man, get out. We want to help you. We, we, you need help. You need counsel. You need help. And you need to get out of that situation. You mean you may need a time of separation and, and divorce may be something that is on the table, and the Bible gives two concessions when it comes to divorce. Number one, adultery, which uh, Jesus mentions in our main text today in Matthew 19, and then Paul talks about an unbelieving spouse who just gets up and leaves, like, "Hey, that's out of your control. They've deserted you." And the logic is important because what what makes divorce a, a concession or a permissible, you can use that language, is when somebody breaks the covenant, when they abolish the covenant. The covenant is a and, and, and that's why adultery is important because what uh, sex, again, is not some mis- mere physical act, but it is a joining, it's a fusing together, it is, a, it is an external reality, it's an external action of an inward reality of two people becoming one. It's, you know, the Hebrews called it the mingling of souls, and there's something deep that happens in uh, the sexual act. Uh, and so that person is um, killing the covenant. And in that sense, it's permissible. And so when someone kills the covenant or someone just leaves, in those instances, the Bible says that divorce is allowed and remarriage is possible. That's what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches that man is very, very serious. And there are concessions, but it's a serious, or more serious you could even say than amputation. I wanna give a little bit of hope for those who may feel on the brink of divorce. I think it's worth mentioning that There is a cost. There is a real cost to covenant-keeping love. Um, So I do not take lightly the pain that you may be going through right now. I know that it cost Jesus his life to keep his covenant with us. He made a covenant to never, ever, ever leave us or forsake us, and it cost him his life. I do not take lightly the pain that you might be going through that might be sustained in a marriage relationship. It may seem in, nearly impossible for you to stay married and be happy. One, I, I, I want you to know as a Christian and what I'm getting ready to say will make no sense to you if you're, if you're not a Christian, I realize that. But marriage is not a mechanism, again, for our personal happiness, but it's through your relationship. In fact, it's through your entire life that we reflect the greatness of God. That's our whole life now. Our life is Jesus. Our life is that Jesus would live through us, that we we love him, we want to be like him, we want to make him the sinner, and that he is the most important thing to us. Paul says in Romans 5, he says, Through whom we've also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we celebrate in the hope of glory of God. So our hope is in God, glorifying God. Not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations. This is how great Jesus is. We celebrate even when we're going through trials and tribulations. I mean, this is what we've been learning about in the Sermon on the Mount, that that people may persecute us and we may be marginalized. We may be pushed to the side, but we can rejoice even in those situations because our hope is not in our circumstance or our situation. Our hope is in Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we have everything. And, And our joy can never, ever be under attack if he is our main source of hope. And in that sense, that's how we're the light and the salt of the world. I don't mean to preach old sermons, but that's what it means. It means that people look at our life. We think, man, if I was in that situation, I would want out. If I was in that marriage, I would want out. And when we stay, we reflect the glory of God, just how great he is and how he is sustaining us through even the darkest of times. And you may be experiencing a thousand tribulations in your marriage, but listen, know that tribulation produces or brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character. Hope and hope does not disappoint. The path of hope that does not, will not disappoint you is if you hold fast to what Jesus says. And it may be, there may be nothing in your marriage that gives you hope, but you have hope in Jesus if you trust and obey him because of his love that has been poured out into his hearts. And you and I could say, as David said in Psalm 63, that the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. And it's going to empower you. It's going to empower you in ways, in a difficult marriage where you think there is no hope, it's going to empower you. You're not accountable for your sins, or excuse me, you're not accountable for the sins of your spouse. But you are accountable for the godliness of your response to the sins of your spouse. And that's our thing. We want to grow in what it means to be like Jesus. And Jesus suffered and died for our sins. And he loves us with an everlasting love. Even in the midst of adultery, I think hope is possible. I mean, Jesus loves us. He loves the church. Does the church ever commit adultery? Only every day. But he remains faithful to her. He remains faithful to us. His love for us is unconditional. It has no, the way that we treat Jesus, the way that we respond to Jesus, he loves us unconditionally because of his covenant that He made for us. And I believe that that love will transform you. I believe that kind of love actually has the potential to transform your spouse, not by always getting on their case, trying to change them, but by your godly response to their sinful actions toward you, it's gonna change them. I believe that. Some of the best marriages I know have experienced dark times, adultery even. And God will give you the grace and it, it, will, it could change them, but even if it doesn't change them, it will change you. And if you're thinking, I can't do that, you're half right. <laughs> you can't do that on your own strength. But we're not living, we're, we're, not, we're not those who want to live by our own flesh. We're wanting to live by the spirit of God, the, 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 the hope of glory, Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's Christ through us. And he wants to empower you. He wants to empower you to live this way. Finally, I just want to give a sense of hope for those who have experienced divorce. I want you to know that re- renewal is possible, that restoration is possible. And again, I want to repeat that we—that it is our heart to uh, for you to feel accepted amongst us. Our, we, we have compassion for you regardless of what you experience, regardless of what you've done. Our heart is to give compassion. Now, I know for myself that I don't always give the compassion that I want to. And I think my brothers and sisters here at Jubilee Church would say the same thing. But man, it is our hope. Our, we aspire to be a place that that has compassion for, for all people, knowing that we have received an enormous amount of grace and mercy from God. And without removing how serious an issue divorce is, and it should be you know, it should be avoided at all costs. I want you to know that the, that that grace and mercy and restoration and renewal are always on the table and it's available to you. I mean, think about King David. If you're not familiar with King David in the Bible, um, he has this uh, relationship with Bathsheba that was all wrong. I mean, you talk about an unbiblical divorce. I mean, this is, I mean, he so many he so many things went wrong. First of all, lust in his heart for this woman Bathsheba, Bathsheba sees her naked. Uh, filled with lust, takes her, um, commits adultery with her, and then uh, they conceive, she conceives, and the, to hide it up, to hide this, this sin, the, the first two sins, he commits another sin and has her husband Uriah, murdered. I mean, I don't know what your situation is, but I can't imagine it being any worse than this. Um, and God took it very seriously. And David experienced pain from his choices, but ultimately he repented and God restored him. In fact, it's through this relationship with Bathsheba, the son that was conceived out of a terrible situation, the son was named Solomon. And Solomon would have a child who 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 would have a child child whose name would be Jesus our Savior, the Son of God coming through this line, through this relationship. God can and wants to restore you and renew you. If you are experiencing guilt, shame from a past divorce, or for any reason, I just want you to know that God's grace is available to you. Now, some may say, man, that's not fair. I mean, what happened to David is not fair. He should not have received mercy. He should not have received grace. He should have received justice. And I have a lot of sympathy for that, but I want you to know that nobody gets away with anything. The justice of God will be poured out upon all sin and our sin, but that's what makes Jesus so amazing, Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sin so that we would never experience the punishment. So yes, God can be fully just toward the sin that's been committed to us and the sin that we have committed. Yet he could be gracious to us for those of us who fall on our knees and say, God, I was wrong and I need your grace. The Bible says that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you would humble yourself, God can restore you and renew you regardless of what you've, done, what you've done or why you did it. If you want that, I just wanna offer that to, you. I want to if you. So here's what I would love to do. In a minute, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. And you're, by raising your hand, you're just saying, hey, I'm identifying myself. You may be in a room with some other people or by yourself, whatever it is, you're declaring to yourself and maybe others that you wanna trust Jesus, that you no longer want to uh, rely on what you think and what you know, but you wanna trust in him and receive that Grace. So I'm going to pray for you. Um, so if you, if you want to receive that, just on the count of three, just, just raise your hand. You ready? One, two, three. Let me pray for you. God, I just thank you for your grace and your mercy. It is so amazing. It's so amazing. God, I pray that we would be a community that honors you, that loves you, that chooses your way over our way. Help us with that. God, I pray, Lord, that when we mess that up, Lord, that you would help us to experience your everlasting love and grace and mercy. We are all in need of your grace and your mercy. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who just said, yeah, I want you. I want to receive Him." I pray you meet them right now. I pray you bless marriages. I pray you bless those of us who are single. I pray that we would all look to you and make much of you in your name. Amen. Man, I just think it'd be so appropriate if we could just sing about the amazing grace of Jesus.